Welcome to the Blackout Podcast, where I get to talk to amazing people that do awesome, amazing, amazing things. And today I have Justin Foster. So, like, are you an, you're an artist, right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, <laughs> so, you know, I remember I actually met you. Uh, I came into Tiff and Bandit to talk to your wife, Amy. And, you know, I just thought you did the screen printing, but... She actually said, oh, you make art and you pick stuff off the road to make art. And I couldn't, like, see it in my head. Mm -hmm. And then she told me to check your Instagram, Johnston Foster Art. And I was like, wait, this is garbage? How did it start for you? Well, I mean, I've been making things ever since I remember. I've always been kind of, you know, not, I don't know if I, handy is the right term, but always interested in creating and making things from mm -hmm. since I was a child, whether it be from like, you know, starting with clay or drawing as, you know, young children do. And, um, but just always wanted like to have a project or something to do, you know, always like being inspired by what I saw like on television or like, comic books or cartoons or just, I mean, I was lucky that my parents exposed me to a lot of art and took me to museums as a child. And mm -hmm. I was really inspired by like just, I guess the looking back on it now, like the freedom of that. Mm. So I've always been making stuff, but when my early years was, you know, kind of whatever in the moment, you know, whether it be like, you know, skateboard ramps or tree houses or, you know, like I said, like sculpture, just whatever I thought sculpture was as a child or, mm -hmm. you know, but it's, it all started. And I, I think like the skateboard ramps and, the tree houses were like as a kid, like I didn't have access to materials, so we were going to construction sites in my neighborhood <laughs> and taking the scrap yeah. wood or whatever we could find, right? And mm -hmm. that was just sort of out of necessity. Mm. Uh, but then as I kept working and eventually went to art school and like being a student on a budget and you know, using what materials I could get my hands on because I couldn't, you know, afford bronze or steel or, you know, those sort of marble things like that so mm -hmm. I, I was but i'd always been attracted to you know the adventure of collecting and mm -hmm. i've also been like kind of an obsessive compulsive person anyway <laughs> but that you know and i think if i always say this is like if i wasn't an artist i'd be a hoarder <laughs> i remember you mentioned that yeah. I, I was hoping you'd say that you know people come into my studio and they're like what is going on here my neighbor is like what is he dragging into the house this time you know so it's like my pickup truck is constantly filled with random stuff i'm always swerving on the side of the road with my kids like oh i gotta get that chair and you know so it's like it never ends you know yeah. and so, I mean, I've been making things forever, mm. but in this sort of form, like, I mean, my style and my approach really developed, I guess, like when I was in art school. Mm. And I mean, it's gone through a lot of changes and shifts, but I mean, the, the use of the found object and manipulating it into something new and reinvigorated or whatever has sort of like been the, the modus operandi from, for the last 20 some years. Mm. Yeah. And why did he decide to go to art school? Well, I didn't know what else I was going to do after high school. My parents were were like, 
you know, you're going to university, you know, and I was kind of directionless through high school. I mean, I had a lot of interests and things like that, but I didn't have like, I'm going to go to school for business or mm. engineering. Like I really, all I wanted to do was skateboard and, you know, that was about it, you mm -hmm. know? So like, but I was lucky enough in high school to, it was interesting because in high school I had two different relationships with my art teachers. One was very confrontational <laughs> and one was like nurturing. Oh. So I either was fighting with my art teachers telling <laughs> me like, that's not how you do it. This is how we're going to do the assignment or someone who was like, you do what you want. Let me guide you and suggest to you what you should do. And like, mm -hmm. luckily my junior year, I had, um, a really amazing photography teacher who really took me under her wing. And it's funny because I went to school to do photography. Oh. And my parents were like, finally, this is something that he's interested in. And his teacher is like, you know, really happy with his, what seems to be talent in it. Mm. They bought me a camera and like I was going to go to communication arts and learn design and photography. And then my freshman year of college was totally derailed. What that. happened? And, I met a bunch of amazing people who are now like my lifelong friends who were like, you should go to the sculpture department. And I was like, <laughs> what? There's a, and I, I don't even know if I realized at the time, like there was a sculpture department, you know, Ooh. like, I mean, it was, and then I was, and then when I was, my first year of school was all, you know, introductory, basic art theory and design and things like that. And mm -hmm. I really leaned towards the material manipulation and like physical yeah. making rather than the computers and the graphic design element, which I have a lot of respect for, but I not honestly it was a struggle for me. And it was like mm. filling my dorm room up with garbage and junk <laughs> and making stuff was so much more fun. Right. <laughs> so that really derailed me. And my parents were like, I was like, yeah, I'm going to apply to the sculpture department my second year of school. And they were like, what are what? No, no, no. You're supposed to go into design school. And mm -hmm. luckily they, they let me move in that direction, you know, with, you know, they were definitely hesitant, mm. but, um, it, 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 I excelled at it and I found a passion, you know, and I, I never really second guessed that at all, you know? Mm. Um, so that's what led me to that. And there in, in art school, I was exposed to just so many amazing artists that, that were students and my professors and teachers and instructors. And it just sort of that's just, I found what I had been looking for, you know. My, what materials were you working in when you moved to the sculpture department? Well, you know, you had all these introductory classes sort of teaching you, like, you know, how to weld, how to use the wood shop and do basic carpentry, how to make molds, um, you know, like all that kind of institutional, like, object making and material ma manipulation. Mm. And But I was really getting exposed to, like, to artists that were, historically based but also sort of that were in my environment that were using found objects and mm. recycling repurposing reusing and um it's funny too because like i really liked a lot of artists when i was young like like people like for like jeff coons who oh, would make these wait, like, is that the balloon guy yeah the balloon dogs and like but i mean like really slick manufactured the craft like you know teams of like a hundred people making these things with like thousands of hours of work mm. and super slick and manufactured and i had this like i wanted to make things like that you know and and then it, but, but it what came, changed well i realized that i completely lacked any skill or talent <laughs> at doing that or, or patience oh yep that's the one for that kind of thing right and then i and i was like god i can't make 
any of this stuff. Like it's so it's expensive mm. and it doesn't seem natural to me. So I started to realize and I started to become more attracted to other artists that were like where you could see the work, mm. you could see how it was made, and you could see um how like what it was made of, right? There was less of a mystery in a way, like where it's like you look at a, a Jeff Koons and it's sort of like so unapproachable, even though they're fantastic and beautiful and colorful and inviting. They're kind of like, it's like staring at a Lamborghini. Mm, it's like, look at I'll it. never own a Lamborghini, you know, like, and like, why should I even like set my goal? In that? Like, like, let's do something. I mean, not to keep my standards low or my goals low, but it was more like, what can I do that's more accessible mm. and more personal in a way? Because I couldn't, you know, I'm not going to have a, th you know, he has the facilities and I use him as an example because he's this iconic sort of expensive you know, production-based artist, right? But mm. uh, I just realized that I was starting to get more attracted to artists where they you could see the work and you could relate to the materials more and you could, uh, th things that were in your everyday environment mm -hmm. and it seemed more personal and more sincere to me, you know? Mm. And um, so that's, I think that's where it kind of, it went in that direction and it was, you know, I, I think that tr that transformation where I kind of, you know, I compared to like alchemy where like making something from nothing or making gold from something, you know, and it's like that transformation on a really basic level of me gathering things, taking an inventory. What can this material do? What is its history before I got it? Like, you know, cause that's, what's really interesting to me about the found objects is that they have a history that they're energized with by the people that, own them before or mm -hmm. how they interact with them or like the wear and the tear on them and that is like a whole like level of meaning and energy that like I could never put into that material if I went to like the the Home Depot or Kenter like the you know any sort of art store and just bought a pre-made material mm. so that's a whole like level and layer of meaning and content that really I was attracted to you know and um, yeah it's just like Creating something and giving something new life, it was it just really was attractive to me and really fun, right? Mm. And and these materials, I mean, especially with these wood pieces that I've done, and I work in lots of different materials, like they're easy to manipulate, you know, like I can cut them, I can bend them, I can contort them and make them do what I want and uh, on a pretty immediate level, you mm. know? I mean, there's obviously some things that it, there there's some, some technical skill involved, but it, it's... Uh, it's what I've gotten used to and it's what I'm more, you know, it, it's like an endless, uh, can, an, an endless uh, amount of material. Like it'll like, I can keep doing it with this and it never gets boring, right? Mm -hmm. And it's always interesting. There's always something new every time. Even if it's the same material, you know, and it's like they always lend themselves to like something to an outcome that I never would have expected, right? Mm -hmm. And like, that's the thing is I can have an idea of like, I want to make a wolf head but I, it'll never look like the sketches or the preliminary imagery that I put together. Like there's always like a, a fork in the road or like it, it goes on a path that I would never expect. And those the surprises of the actual making mm -hmm. and to the end result are really what get me off, right? You know, I'm like, that's not where I saw that going, right? So the, the adventure of the making is mm -hmm. really what keeps me motivated. I mean, like the end result is always fun, but the the actual in the process of getting down and 
building and making and creating like that's the that's the best part i love process too um like you know say say i'm making a film i kind of know what it's going to look like at the end but is that making it that's the fun part for me so hearing you say that sounds great but now let's talk about the process then so how does it start do you like do you already have an idea of what so 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 you want to make a wolf head what where does it start well, there's a lot, like, it starts from a couple different directions and, and origins, but first of all, it starts with just collection and finding things, and there's there's the hunting and gathering. That's it. When you when you see, when you're driving and you say you swerve with the boys uh, and see something off the road, do you see what it's going to be, or? Well, sometimes it's both, right? So, like, I'll have in mind, like, an idea of something I want to make, and sometimes I'll sit on ideas for years and the mater- the right materials won't reveal themselves and eventually I like I'll come across something I'll be like that would be perfect for that idea mm-hmm. so I collect it or I see a material and I'm like there's potential in that I don't know what that potential is but let's get it anyway and we'll mm-hmm. just we'll see what happens later at what point do you know no okay it's ready to start building yeah well I mean whenever there's like an impulse or a project or the time available to work mm-hmm. and i'll say like okay well what do i want to do what's my idea and what are what do i have here to work with mm-hmm. and sometimes it'll be like well it's what, what can look at all these materials i've gathered what can i do with them mm-hmm. or okay i want to make a wolf what would i what do i have here to make a wolf so it, it bounces back and forth right and there's a lot of play and improvisation both with the imagery and content and with the material. Mm. So it's a little bit of both from both directions, but it always starts with collection and inventory, like finding the materials, organizing them, putting them in inventory. I mean, there's stuff in my studio that I've had since we, I moved to Nova Scotia eight years ago that I haven't even, it's still sitting there. I've never used it. When right? you say inventory, do you literally kind of know where everything is? Y- yes. I do to some to some extent. I mean, it's like everywhere in my studio, but there is a loose inventory and sort of organization to it. Mm. And it, you, I used to be le- much less. It used to look literally like a hoarder, you know. And people, and, and but I knew where everything was, and like mm. people would come in, like my wife would come into the studio and like try to grab something, and I would come in, be like, "Why did you move all that stuff?" She goes. How would you even know that I moved that? <laughs> it's like a jo- literally a pile of garbage. But like in my screwed mind, like I knew exactly like the layers of the of the the sediment, basically of yeah. the crap I've collected. Right? <laughs> but now I've gotten the last few years, I've focused more, and I've realized that in order to be more efficient, mm. I've got to you know all the wood goes here, all the plastic goes here, and then there's subcategories. And you may walk into my studio and be like, "How do you have any idea?" But there there is rhyme and reason mm-hmm. somewhere up here. <laughs> So, like, do you draw the what it's going to be at the end? Or? Well, there's, I do, I'm not, honestly, I wish I drew more. I'm not much of a drawer. I used to work in sketchbooks a lot more and just sort of get random ideas down. Mm-hmm. Um, but the work I do now, it takes so much, like, it really is very labor intensive and time consuming mm-hmm. that I'm, I have to choose which images I want to, ideas I want to work on. And like, I mean, it's like, if I'm lucky, I can make five or six sculptures a year. Like, that's it. Like, I mean, I just, but it is really intricate anyway. Like, yeah, it, it's, each piece is, just looking at this, I don't know, like, how many pieces of 
tick is in on his head? I have, I mean, a few, several hundred. Exactly. I mean, and like they, there's a lot going on. So like, I, but I'll, I'll draw and have ideas, and I'll usually just like will draw things just so I don't forget the idea. Mm. But they're very rough, and then I'll find some source images to sort of start out with, and these things will. I'll start building it, but then I'll abandon the image, the drawings and the images at some point because the materials eventually are, they tell you what they want to be. Mm. You know, the idea tells you what it wants to be. Like it's, at some point I kind of lose control of it and I'm just a vessel to finish the execution, you know? And it's like, once you build a basic armature, mm. it basically, you're fleshing it out from the inside out, particularly with these wood pieces that I do. Mm. Um, because they really are like there's a skeletal structure and then it just builds from the inside out and it really is like adding flesh and muscle and like, there's an anatomical approach to these where I, I just sort of have to let go of any kind of preconceived notion and I just fill in the blanks, mm. you know, and there's something kind of uh, meditative about that where it's like you just follow the pattern, you know, you don't really have to, th you mean, there's a lot of thinking and the there isn't a lot of thinking, but these pieces are really weird because you have to like i'll go out and i'll work in my shop for like three hours and i only attach five or six pieces if i'm lucky to it because i'm like because i have this crazy inventory of wood different sizes different shapes different colors and i have to be like does it fit no does does this fit? no and it's like and then i have to trim it and cut it and fit it and it's it, this piece in particular like some of these wood pieces they go very fast like mm -hmm. they, they're very quick but then with this one, it was just so dense and layered that it, it, it really, it, it took me three times as long as I had expected. But mm -hmm. I mean, I'm ha really happy with the result. It looks yeah. amazing. Um, like you had to bend some pieces, I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, some of them. Yeah, like a lot of the, the cane work that kind of fills in these skinnier pieces are bent and they're, you know, but a lot of the other, the spindles from the chairs and things like that, they're like they're very rigid. Mm -hmm. So you have to figure out the right angles and which way they fit into the different crevices that are exposed. And uh, but yeah, there is like bending and sort of shimming and kind of you know you you, you can't force things. That's you, you force it and you break it, mm. right? But um, it really this piece. I mean, it's like I I really liken these wooden pieces to literally like I have my studio. Like, I have a separate space at my house that's just for the wood. Oh. So it's all laid out in inventory, and I work on the wood in those pieces. And then the other space, which is just the room next door, is, like, where all the plastic and all the other random materials are. So I've kind of separated them just for sanity's sake. But it literally is, like, a thousand jigsaw puzzles yeah, mixed together cool. in a room, and then I'm trying to reassemble it, and I don't know what that what the, what the puzzle is you know do you ever get headaches <laughs> i get frustrated um it's you know it's there's like it's there's a there's a push and a pull to the pro to the to this process where mm. it starts out really fast like you'll get the whole like head and the form out really quick and like oh this is coming together quick mm -hmm. but then when you get down to the details and filling in all the like like the individual nick like uh crevices and just the, like you know trying to figure out the eye or do the teeth it's like super slow and um but 
when you find that right piece that fills that you didn't know you were looking for and it fits in and it just it pops out and really gives the piece even more life like the payoff is amazing mm. right you know and there's a an energy to that that it's worth the patience and the weight and sort of the 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 push and pull and the battle of trying to find the right one how long did this one take to make i i mean it was like i was kind of working on it a little at a time every day because at the time it was our days were really busy and i was consumed with other work and just other obligations with family and things like that so this was a close to three months mm -hmm. but that wasn't working full time you mm -hmm. know but i mean i could you know like i said some pieces i'll build in a day and some pieces take, I mean, I've built pieces that are like six months in the wow. making. Yeah. I mean, like larger scale works, mm -hmm. right? So, um, do you remember what your first show was like? My first show? Um, well, I had a student show when I was in undergrad. When I, I'm from Virginia, so it was in Virginia Commonwealth University. It was like in a student art space there. Mm -hmm. And it was a mixed match of random objects and things like that and it was like the foundation was there i think about it now it's like there was a lot of found objects and um but there wasn't quite the manipulation of things it was more like presenting objects mm. on their own but wasn't quite um like they, they weren't reassembled into something brand new exactly oh. there was actually one piece in that show that it's sort of a very foundational work for me and um i went around collecting traffic cones the you know the orange pylons and i would find them like you know all over the city kind of forgotten by construction workers and things like that and i actually in the metal shop at my school we made like a steel frame in a sphere and i covered it in chain link fence and then i wired the the cones all over this ball so i ended up with this like five foot wide giant like sea urchin looking form which i called the cone ball <laughs> and it was like this giant orange spiky ball and it was kind of i think about that now that it's sort of like that it was sort of like that single celled organism that started to crawl out of the ocean and then eventually grew a leg or yeah, two you yeah. know and it, like because i look at like that piece is like i've found objects i manipulated them and then it became something, something. else yeah. but it was more like a formal exercise and that piece was really cool too because i could like take it up on a hill and like roll it down hills <laughs> and, and it was durable and sturdy right yeah. but it was like this fun interactive thing and I, I had nowhere to put it so i just kept it in my pickup truck and mm -hmm. i would drive around town and people were like what? <laughs> this giant orange spiky ball and it was kind of like this local celebrity thing and oh, nice. people knew it and I, people i had it in front of my house for a while and people tried to like like drunkenly <laughs> i'm gonna roll this home and they would be like not even halfway down the block because they'd give up because it was so, heavy, so you know? heavy but that was like the basic level i was like wow like a material i changed it i made it into something else mm -hmm. and now i look at the new work and it's like the same process but it's much more elegant and much more like there's more purpose and content in it and more like um i mean i'm more nuanced i think i mean i've slowly gotten better at making things you mm -hmm. know like i you know it, it's funny because i a professor of mine myron Helfgott, i've had him when i was a sophomore but i met him when i was early he actually passed away a week ago mm -hmm. and it, it was is it tragically he was he was an older gentleman but uh he said to me once he said you know foster you've got really good ideas but you can't make 
anything worth a shit. <laughs> and it was like the best advice I ever had, right? He was such a jerk, right? But I remember that always stuck with me. And I was like, I've got to learn to make things better. And I'm still like, I'm not a really a very good craftsman. Like, I'm not like a skilled technician at all. But I've what I've done is I've taken the materials and I've like learned to I've I've learned how to manipulate them my way, you know, like lots of people collect things and and make stuff out of it. That's nothing new. I haven't reinvented the wheel by any means, but mm -hmm. um you know, I've had assistance in the past when I had a crunch or had to get a deadline done. I'm like, "Okay, here's your here's your drill. Here's the material. Screw these onto there." And they they can't do it. And it's not their fault. It's just that I've figured out the right way like only my hand can do these things mm. you know and it's like it's and it, that's just through trial and error and repeat 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 you know and wow wow um so how about the very um like okay no i know what i'm gonna ask um do you have a favorite type of material you prefer working with like wood plastic and... well it changes you know like i mean i guess in a general sense, it's the found object because it's just number one, the the that adventure I spoke of of like the actual finding and collecting is mm -hmm. just like that's finding stuff that you're excited about. Like you feel like you're getting accomplishing something. You trick your brain and like, well, I'm actually getting work done by not trying, you know. So finding things is really fun because there's that adventure aspect to it and looking for things and sort of being surprised by what you find on just mm. a random excursion or walk around the block, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, but I like things that I can, like, I'm not much of a welder. I don't cast metals or like bronze or aluminum. Like, I'm not, like, I don't carve marble. Like, it's not something I'm not interested in, right? Mm. But I, I like things that are accessible. Mm -hmm. And I like things that I can manipulate and alter pretty easily, you know? Like, I can... You know, with just a drill, a small handsaw or jigsaw blade or, uh, you know, basic hand tools, I can uh, do all this work, you know. So I can travel with a small toolbox and get a lot out of it, you know. Um, so it's accessible is what I would like. That's the kind of materials I like. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I, I really I've kind of broken the work down lately. It's like there's these wood pieces and then there's the plastic works, which are more like like plastics and rubbers and just randoms. But there's like, you know, scrap metal that I use. Um, I mean, it's all over the place, like textiles, like mm. random fabrics. And it's all, it, I mean, it really is like wherever it is. And I, I really like the materials that are, I mean, I'd say 90% of the materials that I have in my studio right now are from the square mile around my house. Mm. So basically, like, every other Wednesday, it's garbage day, and I'll drive around the loop, and I can fill my car up with so much stuff, and it's, like, inherent to where I live. You know, like, the material is, like, of my environment. And so because I live in sort of, like, pseudo-suburban Halifax, the materials are suburban materials, you know? Like, whether it be, like, children's kiddie pools or hockey <laughs> sticks mm -hmm. or you know in the springtime everyone's cleaning out their garage and all their garden hoses have holes in them so like i've got a massive stockpile of garden hoses that are just so it's reflective of that you know and mm -hmm. but i've like 
when I travel, I've been lucky enough to be invited to do exhibitions in other places like in the in the United States or in Canada or like Europe, South America. Mm-hmm. And when I do those shows, I usually make the work on location. Oh. So the, the, the materials I end up using are very reflective of the That's- environment in which I made them, right? So I did a show in Hamburg, Germany about 11 years ago. And all of that was from the neighborhood in Hamburg that this, that my studio and the exhibition was shown in, right? Mm. So that was, you know, and these were like materials that like they have different types of plumbing pipe in Germany. You know, I wouldn't have known that. They have different types of steel fence, you know? So it's like you find these things and you're like, wow, it's the same, but it's different, you know? And it's, I, it's inherent to where it was made. And mm. that is really exciting to me too. And showing up in a place and not having any ideas or having anything to work with and then discovering because you're discovering this new place like mm-hmm. i've never i'd never been to hamburg before and so like i'm i'm searching the neighborhood at night finding stuff gathering materials dragging it back to the studio mm-hmm. and at the same time i'm like learning about this amazing place that i'm living in for a few mm-hmm. months you know and seeing that was in Col- um, bogota colombia a few like 10 years ago and the same thing like roaming around that this massive south american city and i was to say i was a fish out of water would be an understatement right but i like wow i learned so much about the people and the city the cultures there and Mm -hmm. um when you're going through people's garbage you learn a lot about them yeah you know and uh it's a very like ground level approach to it's like, you know, it's, I don't really think about it. It's like, but the work is very social in that regard. And as I said before, is these pieces have a history, mm. you know, that people sat in these chairs that this was made out of. They ate at the dinner tables, you know, like, and I don't know what exactly happened or who those people were. But like, to me, like, it's it's very like, it's energized with their presence and their mm. interaction, you know. And, and like I said, it's like, there's nothing I could ever bring to the materials and when you're working on location like that, it, it's pretty exciting. It sounds like it too. You have a great Instagram and, you know, one of the pictures I stood up and, I'm, and I think I might get the name wrong, but it's a bunch of like little people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's called Mob Deep. Mob Deep, yep. Eight? What was the ins- inspiration behind that work? Well, I was, uh, I think that was one of those pieces that I had had an idea for and I had been sketching it in my sketchbooks a lot, but I hadn't had the materials or the space to make it yet. And I kind of sat on that project for a while until like, because I wanted to make it big. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, I, I just had this idea, like, I don't know where the idea initially came from, but it was like, wow, how cool would it be to make like, an angry mob, you know, like make maybe a hundred figures, like the torches and like pitchforks. And what would that look like? How could I make that? And at the time I was actually had a studio in New Brunswick, Canada here. And, um, I was working in a small garage and I didn't have, it wasn't, I, I wasn't ready to build that piece yet. Cause I just, it didn't, I didn't have the room. And then I moved to Virginia, back to Virginia and I actually got into a really amazing studio space that was like a big, giant, gross warehouse. <laughs> but I had the room to fill it with as much stuff as I could find mm. and the space to build large-scale works. And so I made this – I started building it. And it was more like, you know, at the time I wasn't even really thinking about what it meant 
or what it could mean or the theme of it. I just like the visual presence of like what an angry mob, a sculpture of that would look like, right? Mm -hmm. So I made them all like half size figures and because it was just more accessible, but it was also interesting because when you viewed the piece, I, I, I was thinking a lot about like, you know, Frankenstein's monster, you know, when like they all like go to the castle mm. at the end of the film or at the book and they're all like, they want to kill the monster and kill Frankenstein because he's, you know, created this thing. horrible yeah. like thing. And I like this idea of like the social unrest of that, you know, but I liked it like, so they're all half scaled, but when you look at it, you're the monster, right? You over, you're bigger than they are. Like, and you, when you walked in the, when I showed it the, for the first time, when you walked in the gallery, they were like facing the door. So as soon as you open the gallery, they're all there, like, like coming at you. And I wanted, you could put yourself in the position of the monster mm. or you could turn yourself around and you could join the mob mm. if you wanted. Um, so it was like a pretty cool interaction, like uh, participations, uh, audience participation in that regard. But that piece was sort of, as I was making it, and it was like, that was one of those six-month pieces. Mm -hmm. And I started building all the armatures for them, and then I started making all their heads, and I wanted them all to be individuals. You know, they all had different faces. They all had different clothing. So I made their bodies. I made all their clothing. I made their faces. They all had facial hair and eyes and different hairstyles. And then I, like, collected all kinds of fabrics and textiles, and they all had different clothing. So, like, each day I'd go in, and I'd have to, like, dress these people mm. and I all their shoes were different so like for for a week I made I just tricked out making like different sneakers and shoes <laughs> and like, you know cutting up luggage and different like burlaps and upholsteries and just making and they were all one of a kind right mm. and they were all different races you know there was like there's just all different people of all different backgrounds and there's people with suits and there's people with uh jogging outfits on and there's you know people women with dresses and like little children and it was like i wanted it to be about like the shits hit the fan and everyone's come together they, they something's unified us all like mm. it isn't like an angry mob of like a one group of people against another it's like everyone together unified for a single like-minded purpose and i didn't want it to be like an evil purpose. I wanted it to be for like the greater good. That's mm -hmm. how I saw it, you know? And I mean, I, as soon as you let it go out of your studio, you, it's up, it, to, it's up yeah. to the audience, right? But I wanted it to be not dystopic, but um, something that was about working together, you know, even if it's an extreme approach, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, but yeah, I'm like I'm really proud of that piece. I think mean, that piece is 12 years old now. I and, really, uh, really love it. Yeah, I. It was one of those things when I was making it. I was you can you know you're like I think I'm really onto something here, mm. and um, it's aggressive and it's fun. Um, it's got content and meaning, but it's not didactic. I don't think like I don't think it's like telling you one fixed thing. Like yeah. it's open to interpretation. It's up to you to see what you want to see. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna like I want to keep this going, but like we can I'll, keep going. <laughs> I'm gonna end it with this one. Um, do you have something planned? What are some future plans you have for your work? Well, I just want to keep working. You know, like my future plans are. I, I've got a lot going on now, you know, it's like, it's interesting because I look back on those pieces like with Mob Deep and things like that at the time, like I was, uh, 
working part-time as a teacher. I had this very cheap studio. I didn't have any children. I was very like selfish in my studio, you know? I was like, you know, like long, crazy hours and yeah. like very obsessive and compulsive about like working, you know? Like, I mean, that's when those big things were made because I was just sort of, I had undivided attention in that way. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, I'm a father, I'm a husband. Um, I'm like helping to run a business now and I'm still working in my studio, um, but my time is divided in really good ways you know mm. so i have to be smart about how i work and when i work but i've got other things that um i enjoy doing mm -hmm. besides being in the studio all the time and i think sometimes like having that time divided is, is very productive because when i'm in the studio i'm grateful for it instead of being resentful you know mm. but as far as like plans I just want to keep making, you know, like I used to have these kind of like grand ideas of like, I want to have a show there and I want to build these giant things. And now I just feel like I try to be as feel as grateful and um, and content with the time I have. And mm -hmm. it's like no matter what I'm making, I'm, I'm, I want to like that's my favorite thing I'm I've made right then because I'm in the moment doing it, you know, mm -hmm. and. I, I've got a, you know, with these wood pieces or something that I'm I'm pushing forward to, and with Thief and Bandit, my wife and I's company, like we're opening a, like a shop, a boutique, and it's going to be a really cool outlet because I'll be able to like show some of my work there, mm. and I, it's a the shop is like a hybrid of like my wife Amy's vision of her brand and my part of it, and but also like a platform for my artwork, and I think it'll be a cool interaction or intersection of like what we're both do as individuals mm. and i think like we've never really looked at our work separately and how they actually are very quite similar mm -hmm. so i think the shop is going to be a really cool uh, like look into both of us as like separately and as one you know mm -hmm. um so that's kind of what i'm working at and like you know I, i'm lucky enough to have People are like, you know, every few months are like, hey, we'd love a piece for a group show and we'd love you to be part of this or something like that. And it's like, it's enough to keep me busy and get done like my other obligations and interests, you mm. know? So I'm like, a lot of times I'm just sort of like, okay, I've been invited to do this. Like, what can I make for it? And I, I mean, I don't, I'm not one of those, I mean, I know this is a bad thing to say, but I'm not one of those five-year plan guys, mm. you know? Like, I'm kind of like, <laughs> by the seat of my pants and like <laughs> i want to be surprised yeah. and like i like you know and it's like it's kind of bad but it's like keep your expectations low and you're always going to be happy because it's going to come <laughs> out right you know like and i'm not i don't want to be like completely like that sort mm -hmm. of nihilist but i i like to keep it loose and i if i when you have expectations you can't be bummed out if they aren't fulfilled so, you know, I just, we do what we can and make what we can and make it natural. Don't force anything. And, um, I mean, I've got lots of ideas. I'll never be able to make everything I've thought of. So I just have to learn to be to satisfied with what I do, you know? Mm. And um, I just, ultimately, it's just like, I'd rather, I'd not rather, but like hanging out with my kids giving them the attention they need and um, contributing to our business and making things when it's, when it works is that's my plan. Right. You wow. know, and I think it'll like it, if you keep the work honest mm. and you keep the work pure as you can and not like 
try to force any kind of like result in the end or some sort of approach to prestige or fame or anything like mm-hmm. i think that keeps the work uh it's, it has integrity and it's 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 true you know and i think like i've just let it let it just flow mm-hmm. that's kind of my plan <laughs> wow Johnson, you know what? That's a great idea. I'm going to actually have you and Amy, your wife, so we can talk about how you actually take these two pieces and make it work. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Israel. It's been a pleasure.